Welcome to another episode of Podtoon. Podtoons is presented by Bedtemporis, bedtime stories that will keep you up at night. Sketch artist. Would you do me a favor? She audibly sighed before saying, <sighs> What is it? Maybe. So I've got this kid. He's in foster care now. He won't talk. Just send me an email. She said getting up. She picked up her lunch tray by the edges and looked across the cafeteria. There weren't many people at the tables, but they were filtering in. This is nothing about you. Us. I need your help. No, sorry. I just wanted your help. She hesitated, biting her lip, looking away again. But she didn't leave. I'll trade you my pudding for your lettuce, he offered. She sat down again on the hard green bench that was attached to the lunch table. After surveying the food on her segmented cafeteria plate, she said, Alright, what's it about? He's eight. He's in third grade. CPS took him out just before Halloween. His foster still might take him to his old school, so I'll meet him there. Anyway, he won't talk to me. I got nothing. I'm not surprised. She opened her carton of milk and poured it into a cup. Sorry. She said. Go on. So the only thing he'll talk to me about is this monster. Huh? This monster he's made up. He'll talk about it in detail, extensive detail. She looked around the cafeteria again self-conscious of who might be there, who might see them, then said, Um, okay, what kind of monster is it? That's the point, Teresa. I think if I could see it, I could figure out what's going on. Like a Rorschach test. You just can't believe the photographic detail this kid's got. The imagination. I'm sure it's all symbolic, representative of what's been going on. Hmm, you should have him draw it. He won't. He's too smart, or he's been coached. It's like his mother told him to say nothing, write nothing, draw nothing. I'm pretty sure she did. They know how we get information. Anyway, I've got this one, and only key to unlocking the whole thing. So what are you asking? Would you meet him? Sketch it out? Whatever he describes? I do digital sketches. It's a computer program of people. I'd have to take time off. Can't you just do it? You know I can't draw, and I'm not good with computers he said, and then added, ill-advised admiration. I've seen your work. I swear, Leslie, if this is some kind of pathetic trick to get my attention, I'll have you written up for harassment. Teresa, it's a kid, he said. Now he was looking around. She sighed again and asked, Ugh, where's the school? It was early afternoon, but late in the school day. The yellow, red, and blue of fall were gone. The festive snow of winter had not yet fallen. The world was gray. The dark, leafless branches of the trees around the school looked like veiny, placental membranes against a colorless sky. Though it was an elementary school, like any other, she had forgotten such places existed. His name's Steven, but he prefers to go by Grimaldo. Grimaldo? What's that? She asked. Uh, surname. And there he was, as if conjured. Hey, Grim. How are you doing? The boy had stopped in the doorway when he saw the woman. Come on in. This is Teresa, the artist. They sat at a large round table in the resource room. It was a small room with bookshelves on every wall filled with textbooks and workbooks. Leslie leaned across the low table and said, Say the. The? Now say eraser. Eraser? Say it together. The eraser. Say it faster. The eraser. Faster. The eraser. Faster. The Risa. That's it. That's her name. Her art gum eraser was on her sketchbook on the table. 
She put her hand over her eyes, rubbing her temples to cover a smile. Leslie was in one of the miniature student chairs with his knees jutting up over the table. She began setting out her pencils. She's got a lot of green and red, Leslie observed, looking askance at the pencils. Those be monster colors. It's not green and red. Oh, I see, Leslie said, grasping his knobby knees and pushing himself up. Don't let me interrupt. He stepped over to a bookshelf and propped himself on an elbow against it with his hand over his mouth and nose. So, we're just going to draw a monster, Teresa began, slapping her hands on her knees. I love drawing monsters, even though they're scary. Let me tell you how this works, Grimaldo. I, well, first of all, do you have any questions for me? Do you draw pictures of bad people? Yes, suspects. Bad people. It helps the police catch them. Do they get mad at you? No, I don't ever see them. If they saw you, would they get mad at you? Yes, I suppose they would. She sat back in her chair, the only adult-sized chair in the room. She crossed her legs and put the sketch pad in her lap like an easel. I draw pictures of good people too. Sometimes they get lost for a really long time and I draw how they would look now, when they're older, when they've grown up. Don't they know they're lost? She glanced over at Leslie. Yeah, the kid was bright. What we're going to do now, Grimaldo, is I'm going to draw what you tell me to, and then you're going to tell me if it's right or not. And then we'll keep going until we get it just right, okay? He nodded. She beckoned him over with a slight tilt of her forehead. He got up and stood by her side looking into the blank paper. Let's start with the body, they began. Grimaldo drew ever closer as the picture developed, and Leslie looked on. So the tentacles would imply restriction, oppression? Like complete control. I think the mother is smothering control. I think we're focusing on the wrong things, she said. Well, why are they blue? Does that mean it's an alien, not an octopus? That would correlate with abduction, alienation, kidnapping, being removed from the home. The sketch pad was on the trunk of her car in the school's parking lot. The bottom corners of the illustration had peeled from the wear, and a slight breeze lifted the paper. Teresa was leaning against the side of her car with her arms folded, staring back at the school. Leslie, you're focusing on the wrong things. Look at the face. There is no face. The face tells the story. And then the hands. There are no fucking hands either. Look, it's what my drawing teachers always said. Well, the face is blank. Exactly. It's a mask, like a cover. There's something under there? Identity is under there. Maybe. He didn't describe it as a mask, per se. Your teacher? No, Grimaldo. The identity of what? I don't know. It was your idea, but it feels important. His father, maybe? The air brakes of one of the school buses that was queued in front of the building went off with a loud hiss. We better get out of here before all the traffic shows up. Do you want to get a bite to eat? There's a Chili's just down the street. No. My treat. She took up the sketch pad and said, Leslie, we're not going through this again. It's just my way of saying thank you. I know what it is. She opened the door of the car, but before she got in, she said, I want to try one more time. I think I can get it. The face. When are you meeting again? I see him every week, but I'm in court next week. Oh. You could see him. Just show them your credentials. I'll tell the secretary. Thanks. She knew the whole thing was a lure, and she played into his hands, but she had her own interest in continuing now. Would you like this one, Grimaldo? He nodded. I thought you would. It's very cool. She removed the drawing carefully by its perforations and gave it to him. 
I want this one for myself, though. Can we do another one for me? Yes, he said. There was happiness, joy, and anticipation in the simple response of the boy, and she had to turn away for a moment to collect herself, imagining his grim life being brightened for just a moment by her meager talent. Awesome. I want to do a close-up, a super close-up. She gestured him over, and he took up his position at her elbow. She blocked in a massive upper body on a blank page of her art pad, too large to include arms or legs. Okay, let me rough in these scales across the shoulder. They're smaller, like pennies. Chainmail? You mean what knights wear? It's more orange than pennies. Oh, let's try that, she said, commencing with the alterations. That's good protection. Even monsters can die. She drew, referring periodically to the previous picture and asking for further elaboration. She was working on the chest and shoulders, and it was developing magnificently. Reaching out through the paper to her, she was in the zone, and it was coming fast and without thought or consciousness. She was shading and coloring and inventing. She was beginning to think that she had made a mistake pursuing criminal justice and dropping out of the art program. Her fingers were so close to the medium, such a part of, an extension of, her brain. She was one with a boy's mind too, and it was like a symphony between them. Whereas the digital portrait program at County was cold and clunky and utterly divorced from any artistic medium, nor was it driven by the muses of fear or hate or love or desire, not even boredom or adventure, just the coaxing of vague and sterile images out of dark, unmemory of eyewitnesses. Even the old dream of a children's book was reviving in her heart, though she had discarded the idea and thrown away the sketches long ago. She had blocked in the head and completed the hair, which was something like a lion's mane of brown seaweed. Hmm, how about some whiskers? She asked, edging up the neck towards the face, a beard of porcupine quills. Grimaldo hesitated, and there was a palpable feeling in the room of contracting into himself. She knew that she had crossed the line, but it would either happen or it wouldn't. The face, but she couldn't go back. Does your dad have whiskers? My dad did, and when he'd hug me, they'd just about scrape my face off. No. She was unsure to which question he was responding. Ah, I know. Teeth. Sharp teeth. Pointy canines like Dracula or the tusks of a boar. She made the motion of tracing an elephant's tusks in the air. He said nothing. A snout or a nose? She asked. She was getting desperate. What about the eyes? Grimaldo still didn't respond. She had lost him to the dreaded silence. There's a face, isn't there? Under the visor. The mask? He didn't say no. She began dividing the blank face into its segments, roughing in the pits of the eyes and nose and mouth. Grim? She continued sketching, but it all seemed wrong, and her talent had fled. Why won't you tell me? I don't want to hurt you. She stopped drawing. Me? How would I be hurt? But he said no more. She excused him and then collected her supplies, thoroughly depressed and empty. She flipped the light switch off and shut the door to the resource room, but before she left, she put all of her resurgent dreams back into the junk box. It's called magical thinking, she said. I thought you would know about it. You mean, you can think anything? No, no, it's like... Say you hate your boss. Done. Okay, and you're thinking negatively. And then something bad happens to your boss. Oh, like telepathy? Like Carrie? The Stephen King book? No, she corrected. You're thinking of telekinesis, but it's not that either. 
It's purely psychological. You would feel guilty if you were thinking something bad about a person and then something bad actually happened to them, right? Uh-huh. But you would know that it had nothing to do with you, like with what you thought. Yeah. Some children don't know that. They believe they think something bad about someone, say mom or dad, and then something bad happens, they think that they had caused it to happen. It's a terrifying feeling to have. You can't even trust your own thoughts. Probably there's some clinical name to it. I'll have to look that up. He said. Magical thinking. Well, anyway, I think Grimm's got it. They were at Leslie's house. She had come over to watch the Broncos game and eat pizza. He was persistent, and they had been back together for two weeks. She was letting him touch her again, and she had felt like a dog eating its own vomit. Leslie had his orange Bronco jersey on and a three-day weekend beard. He was trying to mat his hair into an antiquated grunge style, and he looked ridiculous. He gave me a card for you, he said, turning up the volume on the TV. Grim? But before she could follow up, the doorbell rang, and he went to get it. Hey, throw me a penny, he said, returning a moment later. There was a thick, clear glass vase on the end of the table by the couch. It was three quarters full of pennies. Aren't you going to tip him? She said, collecting a penny and tossing it rather than flipping. No, he was 30 minutes late. It should be free. He returned with red plastic plates and paper napkins and two bottles of cold beer, sweating with condensation, stacked on the pizza box like a platter. The commentators on the TV were talking about an injured player He took a hand off the pizza box just long enough to flip an envelope into her lap. She took it up in her fingers. Is that Booker? He asked, studying the TV. She looked at both sides of the envelope. It was a large and square and had been recycled from a birthday card. It was sealed copiously with tape and on the flap, in barely legible penmanship, it said, To the eraser. The picture within, however, was drawn clearly enough. It's you. What? She refolded the paper from inside the envelope. He set the pizza and drinks down on the coffee table, and she passed it to him. It's you. She said again. He unfolded the paper and saw the face. Did, did you do something to him? She asked. If it hadn't been for the pennies, she wouldn't have even known what was happening. The thick glass vase didn't break. It bounced hard off her head, but the pennies went everywhere. Her teeth shattered on the vase on the second blow, and it should have hurt. But all was numb, black and vague, like the faces she tried to sketch, coax, and pull out of obscurity and darkness from the fading memories of the eyewitnesses who had seen them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podtoons. Podtoons is updated on a weekly basis, so be sure to tune in next week.